0: Shelter and now, gentle people, the only preacher better than Jesus—our own Emily Swan. He's confident. He can handle it. He knows he's—he's he's really good. <laughs> he's secure. I can't preach like that. I, I, that's so much pressure. Good morning. I got a lot of stuff this morning here. Oh, I'm glad you guys all uh, remembered. It was. Got an extra hour of sleep last night, unless you've got little kids who don't know that you get an extra hour of sleep last night, but I'm feeling good, and it looks like you guys all survived Halloween, you uh eaten your kids' candy. I know you parents. If I had kids, I'd totally raid their candy bags, except none of those, like, Smarties or anything. You've got to go for the good stuff, right? You've got to get, like, the Reese's and sort of slip those out. Well, last week, yeah, see, I, I was like, yeah, I got a couple of amens. <laughs> Uh, last week, Rachel and I we went on um, a tour with a couple of friends. We did a cemetery tour um, out in ipsy so every year there 's a local historian who leads groups of people around Highland Cemetery for a couple of hours and he goes around and just tells stories about the different people who have been laid to rest there and This guy, I think his name is James. he provides a bunch of kerosene lanterns, you know like the old school they actually have a flame that you carry around so you 're walking around this dark cemetery with the flame. I'm looking at Lindsay and Joy because they were there with us. And so officially it's called an evening lantern tour, but our tour guide kind of told us with a wink that it's really a haunted tour, right, that you get history and a couple of ghost stories, and we loved it. It was great. And I was thinking about how really this is the time of year that we allow ourselves to collectively think about things like death and the beyond, and that that's intriguing for many of us and it's scary for some of us and it's sad for some of us who are missing loved ones and i just want to say for the latter two for those of you for whom it might feel a little bit scary or sad that i hope to provide a little measure of comfort or encouragement this morning here on all saints sunday so in the very early centuries of christianity when people died especially if they were people who were martyred or people who were considered saints for their devotion to God, um, the believers, like their, their fellow church community members, if you will, would remember them every year with feast days. So especially if you have, like I say, a Catholic background, you know, there's like the Feast of Saint, I'll say Rachel to get some marriage points, <laughs> Feast of Saint Barnabas, whoever. And eventually, there were so many feast days that the Catholic Pope decided to combine them all into All Saints Day, which is always the day after Halloween, so it was last Thursday. Now, most of us know, I think, that Halloween seems to have originated from like a Celtic harvest festival. But eventually, it was merged with All Saints and All Souls Day to become a three-day church festival that we call All Hollow Tide, which sounds to me a little bit like a Harry Potter holiday. Doesn't it? Like the Deathly Hollows? It's all hollow tide. And so for the last 1,300 years, it's been the time when we remember the people who go before us. And really, it's not just about remembering. It's also about experiencing the mystical connection that we have with and to those people. I will say this. Ultimately, when we die, what happens is a mystery. And I think that no matter what somebody may tell you, nobody knows for sure. And that even within our own Judeo-Christian tradition, there are people who have conceptualized the afterlife in myriad ways. But I will say one of the funnier things that I learned during that cemetery tour last weekend was that some of the tombstones that they have out there in Ipsy, they're you know, maybe a hundred, couple hundred years old. Some of them have engravings on them of a finger that's pointing up. Meaning, you probably guessed it, that the person lying in there is thought to be up there. Meanwhile, there are a couple few tombstones with engravings of a finger pointing (laughs) down, right? So we don't have to wonder what those people's friends and family thought about them. (laughs) But that concept of up or down, heaven or hell, that has dominated the Christian imagination since the medieval times, but I don't think it's as clear-cut as we'd like it to be. And so I'm actually going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to share a little more personally this morning, just regarding some of my own thoughts and intuitions as somebody has thought about this quite a lot in hopes that it's helpful for some of you. Because I think that being a pastor, I I tend to think about and um, maybe see death more than the average person does. And as I do this, I'm going to interweave just some thoughts uh, from the Bible that might provide some windows for us. So to do this... I first need to step back a little bit. So I'm going to be talking about the afterlife. You don't hear a lot about that, I don't think, from the pulpit. And I think to do that, for me to share personally, I have to step back a little bit further and just say, well, why am I even a Christian? Um, I'm gay. I'm female. I think American Christianity seems pretty poisonous right now, especially to people like me. And I have my moments where I think, gosh, what if God doesn't exist? Like, well, I have spent my life doing something worthwhile, going to church week after week, leading a faith community. Um, and some of you have probably asked yourself similar questions, not necessarily about leading a faith community, but like, why, why even do this? It seems a little bit scary right now. But you kind of wonder, like, why should I commi- like, continue as a believer in the company of other believers? And my honest answer for myself has, I would say, three or four separate but related parts. And the thing that is related is it tends to be an underlying um, connection by mystical experiences. So for me, when I think about why I believe that you know, something could be going on out there that could be worth pursuing together, I think about what I identify as the guiding voice of the Holy Spirit that I've experienced like in my own prayers or meditation times a hearing from some kind of a trustworthy, loving spirit that has proved helpful and accurate in my own life. So in other words, like when I've been at a loss and I've either been um, depressed, I've been not knowing what direction to go, that when I've prayed and meditated and really um, tried to connect with something larger, I've experienced something communicating with me. And that still small voice... Uh, the things that it has communicated with me have been helpful to me. And I don't feel like I'm in constant communication with what I call God. And sometimes when I pray, I don't feel like I hear much of anything. But the times when I feel like I do hear something, those things have proved to be like real signposts in my life and that I've learned to trust that voice that I hear, that that voice is real for me. And I could see someone plausibly saying, well, maybe that's just you listening to your own inner voice telling you what you really want, you know, just sort of dialing down to that. And I think maybe, but sometimes I feel like that voice says something to me that doesn't sound like me. It doesn't sound like something that I would say to myself, things I've actually been surprised when I felt like I heard them. And when I felt like I responded by moving toward the invitation of that voice, it's felt like it's been constructive in my life. And so over the course of 40 years, it's been sort of like a test and see. And so for me, it feels like this spirit of love that I sometimes even feel like physically in my body, it feels like it cares about my well-being. And sometimes I feel that way when I meditate in the ways that we practice here on Sundays. You know, sometimes we take a couple of minutes at the each of in, each service and just sit quietly or we have a guided meditation And I would say I do experience what I consider to be the presence of Jesus, and I feel God's comfort, whether I'm praying here with you guys, or at home, or if I'm taking a walk in the park, and it's that mystical, mysterious, experiential part of God that's tangible enough for me to say that it keeps me wanting the connection, and that that's been helpful enough in my life that I feel good inviting others to connect with God in that same way. And frankly, for me, also just following a Jesus shaped path feels like it's like a critical lifeline for all of humanity, right? It's one that we need. I haven't personally found a more compelling person or God. And so, like, when I come down to my bottom line, I feel like, man, I am just really attracted to Jesus. I think the Jesus path is um, God inspired, and I think that the spirit of Jesus roaming the world is guiding us and me but there's no way to prove that God's spirit does this. All I have are like my own interactions with it and watching other people's interactions with it. And those are strong enough to lead me to believe. And it's this same presence that I feel like I feel in my own personal life that I experience when I'm with people who are dying. So even before pastoring, I feel like I had a number of encounters with dying people. Before I left college, I think I'd been to 18 funerals which is, I think, really, really odd for somebody who's like 22 or 23. Um, I remember when my grandpa died. He died on my 24th birthday. I was a grandpa's girl. And my family, who at that time was my grandma and my parents, an aunt and uncle, and my two younger sisters, we were all waiting in his room at the hospital. Some of you have probably had those experiences of being in hospice and just waiting together. I remember we had been there and it felt like at some point that something just sort of shifted in the room. And it wasn't anything that my grandpa did, but it was something like, it was something that we could all just feel. And we all just sort of did this, like something's happening. It felt different. We could all feel it. And we kind of looked at each other and it just felt like, oh, something's about to happen. It feels like maybe the release of his spirit is close. And in those minutes, I remember feeling like, like a different dimension almost overlapped with the one that we know you know like there was this palpable it's, i just feeling for lack of a better word it felt like peace and unity and connection i think kind of like maybe people who meditate a lot they talk about how they connect in with like that oneness of the universe You know, maybe it's not that big, but it's like in that moment, in that space, that's what it feels like. And I feel like I kind of am bumbling with words because words don't capture it. We don't really have adequate language to describe these sorts of spiritual encounters. But it's like something was happening, and it wasn't a scary something. It felt like comfort. And I've felt that same thing with others. Sometimes I've felt it weeks or even months before they've passed. You know, so oftentimes, if death comes slowly, I feel it's almost like a veil that lies between our world and whatever it is that comes next. It's almost like it opens a little bit, or it thins a little bit, for the people who are preparing to go and join those who have gone before them. And maybe you've seen this. You know, sometimes people who are really sick, they will, they will like see um, loved ones from a long time ago. I have a, an elderly friend, it was, it was a dear friend of mine's mother, she kept seeing her sister and just talking to her. And this one, she wasn't on morphine or drugs, she just just was like seeing her and interacting with her. My great-grandma, her name was Mamie, I remember she, she was living with my grandma at the time and in the weeks before she died she would hear singing that she felt like were maybe angels. So she would just, we'd be sitting there and she'd be like, do you hear that? I'd be like, what, are, what? And she's like, you hear the singing. It's so beautiful. There's all these voices. It's just, it's so beautiful. And then she would sometimes speak to her siblings who had gone on before her. And she also died at home without drugs. You know, I think when someone passes suddenly, we don't have a chance to observe these kinds of things. But I know I've experienced this kind of overlapping of our dimension of reality with some other dimension so often that I don't know how else to describe it other than to describe it as the presence of God or the presence of heaven breaking in. And it's like, I don't want to overstate it, but I also don't want to understate it. So in the Celtic tradition, places where dimensions seem to overlap are called thin places or thin spots. And they're spaces where whatever separates us from the heavens, it seems like delicate and the company of God and the people who have gone before us are more accessible. I think most often that term, thin spots, it describes places of prayer, like places that have been well trod by believers who have been praying and pilgrim, uh, pilgr- I can't say the word, pilgrimaging, pilgrimaging. So if you go to, say, Iona, it's a small island in Scotland. Or if you go to certain parts of Jerusalem, those are said to be thin spots, and they might be places where you might be more apt to experience God. So for me, the whole process of dying actually feels like it opens a thin place. It's like grace to the dying by a loving God as she eases people into the next part of their journey. And the next part of that journey doesn't seem to be simply up or down. Right, so in the Christian tradition, our hope is that one day somewhere off in the future, that we will all be resurrected to stand before God. And it's like the dimensions of heaven will fully break into the earthly dimensions that we experience now, and justice and peace and love will prevail. Right? That, that's the great Christian hope. And at that point, we're told that Jesus will judge the living and the dead in his great mercy and love and compassion. And we just don't know what that will look like or exactly what that means. I expect there will be justice. I also expect there will be great repentance. There's a picture in the book of Revelation, chapter 22, that that I have found helpful as just sort of a picture of what that could look like. Um, This is the Apostle John. He says, Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they might have the right to the tree of life and go through the gates to the city. Right, so this picture in Jerusalem is the city of Jerusalem is representing that time, that time when the heavens and the earth come into one another. And then John says, outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolatry, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. So outside are the people who are spoken of as sort of less than human. And they seem to be outside the gates of the city of God by choice. It's interesting to me that the gates are always open. And it's pictured as like the river of life flows out and there's trees for the healing of the nations. And when Jesus was alive and visited Jerusalem, like the actual Jerusalem of 2,000 years ago, just outside the city gates was a place called Gehenna. Ken preached on this when he talked about hell, I think in August or September. So, in the real city of Jerusalem, which has walls, there was a trash dump just outside some of the gates called Gehenna, and that word Gehenna is the word that we translate in the New Testament as hell. And Gehenna was the trash dump. It's where all the trash was thrown away and it was often burned, and dogs would be wandering around in it looking for scraps. Right? So, that's the New Testament picture of what hell might be like. The Valley of Gehenna is a real place, um, only today there's like fine dining restaurants there. (laughs) I ate in the Valley of Hell, in the Valley of Gehenna in Jerusalem. So in Revelation, this picture of people being outside the presence of God, you know, it's like John saying, it's kind of like being a dog looking for scraps in the Valley of Gehenna. But again, it's interesting to me, the gates are always open. So to me, that hints at a possibility Of the reconciliation of all of humanity if we so choose. And there could still be humans that are sort of twisted enough in their own pride or whatever that they choose not to. This is just how I work it out. You know, this is one of many uh, sort of ways that Christians look at these passages. I think the Apostle Paul tells us that we see through a glass darkly. And the question then becomes, okay, so until that time when we're resurrected, and Jesus is here to judge us, and God's reality is fully into our reality, what happens? What happens between when we die and that time? It's what we might call heaven. It's what our Jewish siblings call Sheol, which is the realm of the dead. And Sheol is the gathering place. So in New Testament language, we might talk about it as the great cloud of witnesses, So this is found in Hebrews, the letter to the Hebrews, in Hebrews 12 in the New Testament. The author talks about us being surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. And right before that, in the chapter, it's a chapter I call the the Faith Hall of Fame, Hebrews 11. So in the Faith Hall of Fame, the author is going through and listing all these big names from the Jewish tradition, and talking about Abel, and Abraham, and Moses, and Rahab, and David, and Samuel, and say, man, all of these people who have gone before you, they've been commended by God for their faith. They felt like God was directing them and asking them to do things, and even though they didn't see the outcome of what they were part of, they still believed in this God. And then the author says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, right, all those people who have gone before you, Let's throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that easily entangles us. Let's run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. Right? So the picture is this. It's like when we feel like we're pursuing that something as God has promised us or asked us to do or is guiding us in life, and it doesn't seem like we're feeling the results that we would like to see, that we should imagine ourselves surrounded by the many people who came before us. You know, it's kind of like you're in a marathon race and there's, you've got your, your people who are cheering you on along the side, throwing you goo. You know, that, that nasty energy gel that runners eat when they're going along. That's like what the saints are doing. They're our cheerleaders. So we see this idea of all the people who go before us being together throughout the Bible. So in the Hebrew scriptures, um, we sometimes call that the Old Testament, dying is talked about as being gathered to your people. So in Genesis 35, when Isaac passed away, it says, Then he breathed his last and died, and he was gathered to his people, old and full of years. And then in Genesis 49, when Jacob passes, it says, When Jacob had finished giving instructions to his sons, he drew up his feet under the bed, breathed his last, and was gathered to his people. In Numbers, when Moses was about to pass away, God says this, then the Lord said to Moses, go up on this mountain in the Abiram range and see the land that I've given the Israelites. And after you've seen it, you too will be gathered to your people as your brother Aaron was. And it's not just individuals and judges. It says all that generation were gathered to their fathers. And as I looked, I hadn't really studied this in scripture. And I started looking at it. It is over and over and over throughout the Old Testament. You're gathered to your fathers and mothers. You're gathered to your people. And the idea is that there's this great company of humans who are waiting for the combining of the ages. And these people, it seems to be a happy place. You know, like maybe the picture is of a giant feast as they're waiting. And the idea is that they could even be accessible to us through dreams and such. You know, this idea of being gathered to the ancestors that we see in Jewish tradition it resonates with indigenous people in many Asian and African cultures. So if you were here last week, you heard Fayonette, um talk about how she integrates her indigenous prayer practices with her Christian faith. She says she prays for her ancestors and she prays in their company. And I've been learning a little bit more about some of how African-American Christians and African-American traditions are rediscovering this kinds of prayer, of praying with their ancestors. That is the great cloud of witnesses that the author of the letter to the Hebrews describes. And me being like with my white culture, my Protestant, so sort I of think that is not how I think when I pray. And so I tried it one day this, this week of just praying, like imagining some of my loved ones who have gone before me and others standing with me. And that was powerful. So I would suggest that to you. If you haven't tried that, there's like a real, like, oh, I'm not alone. You know, During what we call the Transfiguration, Jesus took a couple of his friends, Peter, James, and John, onto a mountain with him. And when they were up there, it said that the prophets Moses and Elijah appeared to them, both of those guys long dead, and that Jesus spoke with them, and he interacted with them. Now, in general, I'll say in the Judeo-Christian tradition, it warns us, you know, don't conjure up or speak to the dead. But I think this is less a concern about interacting with our ancestors and more about not trying to get direction and guidance from spirits that are not God. Does that make sense, that distinction? In other words, it's about not using the departed as mediums, trying to get information about the future, right? We look to God and to God alone with that, but I think that we can still pray with and interact with people who have gone before us. You know, after my grandpa died, my grandma, she's still alive, she's 95, faithful presbyterian woman and kind of a closeted mystical person of prayer Um, she describes talking with my grandpa almost every day even now like 15 years later they were married for more than 60 years and she says that he still comes to her in dreams and that sometimes when she's just sitting in the living room that she senses him nearby and my my grandma grew up on a farm she's like a no-nonsense woman you know she was like secretary, and just kind of this quiet... She is no drama queen, in other words. And so I don't really have any reason to doubt this experience as she's telling me. It's kind of this confession of like, oh yeah, I still feel him. And perhaps it's a figment of hopeful imagination, but I think, what if it's not? I think so many people have had these sorts of encounters. Some of you have probably had these encounters. I think sometimes... Um, it opens the possibility or makes space for the idea that even if you have some unfinished business with a loved one who has passed, that perhaps you might be able to say things to them. And if they're willing, they can maybe even receive those things, perhaps. Like, I can't see any real theological reason why that can't be so. Or they can comfort you. So if any of you guys are Harry Potter fans, anybody? Anybody? Yeah, we've got some Harry Potter fans here. I think um, if you're not, that's okay. But if you are, I think a good image of this is when like Harry's parents and like Sirius Black and Cedric Diggory and others who have like gone before him when they appear in his times of need, right? I don't want to give away too many spoilers, but I like that image that J.K. Rowling paints of the communion of the saints, this great cloud of witnesses that surrounds us and encourages us onward, Right, it's this idea that we're not alone, and I've said this before, but our culture is particularly bad at mourning and remembering our loved ones. We are so bad at this. You know, if you lose someone in your immediate family, you get what three, five days off of work. You get none for a dear friend. For some of us, our friends are even closer than our family. It's so inhumane. In some cultures, people wear black for an entire year after they lose someone significant just to let people know that they're not all right because, of course, they're not all right. So a couple of things that I've found helpful, um, one is maybe lighting a candle in memory of a loved one. This is a little one that you can get off. It's called a memorial candle. You can get this off of Amazon. These, I think, last a little bit longer. So if you want to buy one and put it up maybe over the holidays, you can light a candle Um, There's these little black pins that you can also buy on Amazon. Ken got this one, so if you need the link, I think Ken has it. something you can maybe wear for a year. Maybe you can wear it on significant dates, um, things that bring things up. And it gives people an opportunity to say, hey, what's that pin? And if that's helpful to you, it can give you an opportunity to just share about your loved one. And since it's All Saints Day, um, we've put up some candles. You can see up here on the the subwoofers, up here and then on a table in the back there and so if you'd like to after communion anytime during the music if you'd like to light a candle in honor of a loved one feel free to get up and do that and i also think that's significant if you've lost a pet that was dear to you i think our animals are just as connected with us humans um you know we're, it's one big ball of connection all of living things i have to share this with you because i know this is kind of a heavy sermon this was so great. So my youngest sister Lindsay has a 6-year-old named Vivian. And this morning Lindsay texted this to me. Um let me describe it a little so you know what you're looking at. This is adorable. She just started first grade and her cousin's dog got run over by a car, my other sister's dog this week. And so all of them are very very sad. And so I'm just going to show you this little picture she drew on a post-it note of Toto, Toto after, you know, the, the little black furry dog in The Wizard of Oz, and what it says, name, it almost looks like to do because she's six, and I finally realized, I was like, oh, it's Toto. It reminded me of like Forrest Gump, Toto, <laughs> and then really big dead dog. <laughs> and then, please say prayers for my cousin's dog say prayers for my cousin's dead dog. And so Lindsay texted me this morning and she goes, I think Vivian has converted to Greek Orthodoxy where they pray for the dead. <laughs> and she just hung this up on the, on the refrigerator. And I was like, well, I texted her back. I said, it is all saints day. You know, like, I don't know that the dead need our prayers. I don't believe in like a purgatory or whatever, but, but that's so sweet. <laughs> I think this is totally legitimate. I said, can I add? Well, she said, you should add it. And I said, I already told Rachel I was adding it to the sermon because, oh my gosh, I'm going to put this in the back by those candles if you want to see it. So if you want to light a candle for an animal or to-do, you can. Um, I'm going to just close by saying this because it might be helpful for some of you. You know, the the church reformers 500 years ago, they tended to downplay or disregard mystical experiences. Um, But I think science is catching up. To our collective spiritual awareness for me one of the most stunning human discoveries was einstein quantifying the relativity of time right this idea this was helpful to me right after college so if you're like gosh i don't care i don't need to intellectualize it but if this is helpful like this idea that all of time is happening at once but that we experience it in a sequence to me is mind-boggling and that there's no way to really grasp it within our limits. Or the, t- the idea that time can bend. Or string theory that postulates that there's 26 dimensions and super string theory says 10. And don't ask me the difference between those because I read The Elegant Universe like 15 years ago. But Mike Lamone might know the difference. He's there in the back. <laughs> but for me, I was just blown away by the thought that we experience just this small fraction of quantifiable reality and I say this not to give us like, existential angst, but because for me, it's awe-inspiring to know that there's elements of our existence that we just can't understand. And that the idea that there's these thin spots might be our human way of trying to describe the feelings of dimensions or times bumping against each other or overlapping. And for me, that helps me find a framework for mystical experiences. And if I'm being honest, it's those experiences that keep me believing. Those are the things that keep me saying, I think there could be something out there beyond us that's bigger than all of us, that connects us, and it seems to be good, and it seems to be love, and it seems to want personal connection with us. And for me, it seems to be embodied best in Jesus and the spirit of Jesus that is this glue that is connecting us and uniting us and guiding us. And through that, that we are all connected to one another. And so we will honor the people who have gone before us this morning. Now, as we do our our meditation time here, as we close, I will say this. I can see where this could be really emotional for some of you. So, one, feel free to just give yourself some grace, give people around you grace, and if it's too much, feel free to step out. but I, wanted, I want us to just start by imagining ourselves surrounded by the company of the people who have gone before us. And we're doing it collectively, like as a church. So maybe just even imagine our loved ones who have gone before us surrounding us even here. just imagine yourself just offering up in their company anything that's on your heart this morning. If you have a personal issue or maybe just name some people in your life um, who you care about, who could use some lifting up in the company of the saints. as a faith community together surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses who are cheering us on who have gone before us i just want to pray together in their presence lord i just ask for your blessing on what it is that you're doing in our church i ask that your spirit be just uh, breathed on us i know you're already here but just breathe on us this morning empower us as we go through this week I know there's a lot of anxiety in our culture and in our society, especially this week. I ask that you would give us peace knowing there are people who have walked similar paths before, that you would give us encouragement, that you would help us to be a light in the darkness in whatever space that you've called us into, um, individually as well as corporately, here in these coming weeks and months. We thank you, Jesus, for who you are. We ask that you would be our light, our north star, our guiding path. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.